Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Welcome to another broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio on this Wednesday night. It is April the 24th, 2019. So glad that you could join us. Of course, New Abolitionist Radio is an award-winning weekly radio broadcast and podcast that started in 2012 to bring awareness to legalized slavery and human trafficking in the United States. Preserved by the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, this issue is often inadequately referred to as mass incarceration, legalized slavery through prisons, jails, and detention facilities, and the mistreatment of those incarcerated in them constitutes severe human rights violations per the Universal Declaration of human rights on a mass scale and of course that declaration of human rights does say that slavery shall be abolished in all its forms it carves out no exceptions as punishment for crime as the 13th amendment of the u.s constitution does of course along with our regular panelists um maxwell Melvins, as well as Mother Khadijah and Tyson McCullum. Uh, this is a joint effort between Prison Street Talks Ministry and the Black Talk Media Project, both based here in North Carolina. Tonight, we are, we do have a special guest. We have a prison slavery survivor, Fitz L. Huff II, who is one of the success stories in that you got a former prisoner being able to carve out a life and career for themselves. And looks like that he has done so in the entertainment and fashion industry. He'll be joining us tonight to talk about some of the things that we can do to make prison a more humane place. That along with other issues. Before we get, get started, um, I do want to put this out there as a general question to the audience. If anybody wants to answer the question or you want to talk to our guests or either of us, give us a call at 704 704- 802-5056 that's 704-802-5056 hit the star key twice that'll unmute you please watch your background noise but I, I want to put this out there um, we'll be on air to about 5 minutes till 9 o'clock so we got about 50 minutes 51 minutes in the broadcast 
answer this question because this is a question that's being debated in mainstream media. And I don't know if people recall the 2018 prisoner-led prison strike that occurred, I think it was during Black August is when it kicked off. Um, you know, Black August referring to uh, the month of August and the history of Black rebellion in this country. But they kicked it off during Black August. And one of the demands that the prisoners that participated put out, they, they I think it was like a 10 point, 10 demands. I had to pull it up and look at it. But one of those was the right to vote the right to vote for prisoners. So Bernie Sanders, who is the front runner for the Democratic uh, nomination for president, came out in the past couple of days and says that he thinks that all prisoners, who are U.S. citizens, of course, should be able to vote even while in prison. His home state of Vermont is one of two states, I believe, that allow people to vote who are in prison. That's Vermont. I'm, I'm sure that's one of them. I think it's another one. So he put that out there. And so, you know, almost every, I know Kamala Harris said um, uh, prisoners should not vote. Not that I'm surprised to hear that from a career prosecutor who, who spent her time, you know, disenfranchising prisoners and, and what have you. Uh, then the other is the um, suspected racist mayor, out of Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, or however you pronounce his name, he came out and said, oh, I don't think rapists and murderers and what have you should have the right to vote. In the mainstream media, even the Washington Post came out with an editorial against prisoners voting. Okay, so they're, and they're using the same dog whistles, the same caricatures, the same stereotypes to paint all prisoners with a broad brush. I mean, they even threw the Boston Marathon bomber in there and, the, and Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber bomber in there and say, hey, Bernie Sanders wants the Boston Marathon bomber to, to vote. So there is a vested interest in keeping non-white people who are the majority of U.S. prisoners from voting. And this even harkens back to the three-fifths clause when prior to the American Civil War, they were counting three out of every five victims of slavery in the U.S. census. Why was that important to the South to, to get three out of five? Because the North didn't want want victims of slavery voting because they didn't have any rights. So why have them vote? So they came up with the three-fifths compromise. We'll count three out of every five victims of slavery in the South in, in the U.S. census. And then that will determine, that also de goes towards determining the number of seats in Congress. Whether we're talking the House or the Senate, that, that number of seats is based on the state's population. So here we are in 2019 where they count every victim of slavery, every victim of slavery, no longer just three out of five, but every victim of slavery is counted and that determines how many representatives will be apportioned to each and every state. Well, I say to you, if you're one of those that don't think that victims of modern day slavery, or we'll just say prisoners shouldn't vote, um, you got to ask yourself, why is that? Is that because the majority of the victims are non-white and that's part of the plan is to keep us disenfranchised so that we can't 
use whatever power we have to make changes. All right, so let me uh, open up the phone lines. I, I thought I saw Maxwell Melvin's on there. So I, I'm just interested in hearing everybody's opinion on that. Um, let me bring in our panel, and then we'll get started with our guests. Uh, Maxwell, good evening to you. L- love the pictures from the uh, hip-hop education event that you had out there at Harvard. Love the pictures, man. Yeah, all right, good, wonderful, wonderful. It was a great thing out there. And again, who would have ever thought hip-hop would have traveled through the halls of Harvard University, you know? And it's showing the progress in that and how hip-hop education and how hip-hop is being used in the form of mass incarceration, criminal justice reform, and, you know, of different ways of changing the prison's narrative through the art of hip-hop music and other music. Well, that, you, when, now that you mentioned that, Max, you were speaking directly to what I was just speaking about and how they're demonizing prisoners to kill this ideal that they should have the right to vote. Yes, and uh, a lot of states right now, have, you know, several states have passed and, and granted that right, you know, for prisoners to be able to vote and as well as ex-offenders. And uh, I'm going to tell you one of the most progressive, I can't think of her name right now, the Attorney General, first black woman ever in day kind of, of Chicago. Kim Fox. She has a massive, uh, what's her name? Kim Fox. Uh, that may be her name. I just can't recall her name. But she's taken out one of the most, outlined one of the most best practices that she's incorporated in every form and fashion, and she's even in a picture with um, uh, 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 well, the name ain't right. Out of Philadelphia, uh, Krasner. Larry he's Krasner. Up there with him, he's taking one of the major steps. But what she's done is she's went above and over what he has done and laid out policy in her. She's written a full plan. And mm-hmm. it's out, and I, I will get you a copy of that, and it is actually being implemented. It's not something she's talking about. And another thing i just like to mention, uh, Brother Jordan Harris of Pennsylvania and Philadelphia has just made it after 10 years. If you stay out of trouble, all your charges and things will be exonerated so that you will be able to get jobs. Now, you mean expunged? woman has... Yeah, yeah, so that you will be able to, if you've, right. been, if you've done good in 10 years, that it will automatically be done without you filing any paperwork or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the congresswomen had just uh, have a bill pending right now that she's making into a federal law that it will apply to every state in the union it will apply she just laid that bill out to uh, automatic Congress. Automatic yeah. record expungement. Yes, yes. If you've been out of trouble, like Philadelphia's already done it, but she's incorporating and got a bill pending right now so that every state will file procedure in the exact thing that Philadelphia just passed. I will get that information to you. Yeah, that that sounds like something for a future program, man. Maybe we can get her to come on or something. Yeah. Yes. I I, I work with Brother Jordan Hass out of Pennsylvania, so I know him. I will definitely, uh, we will definitely bring him on. To uh, talk about this. And, okay. Uh, all right. And uh, another one of our leading states, as I said, is California. California and Pennsylvania 
has chosen the leading state and has really, really been putting in that work. New York has too, but those states have been putting in that work and getting these things passed. That's great. That's great. All right. All right. Um, I don't recognize the other numbers on the board. Uh, Mother Khadijah, Brother Tayson, if y'all are on the 704 conference line, hit star, star. Um, I'm hope you're not having phone issues tonight. Okay, um, someone just unmuted. Is that Mother Khadijah and Tyson? This is Mother Khadijah. How are you? Hey, I'm doing the best that I can under these circumstances, but I'm sure there's people doing worse than me, so I ain't going to complain too much, you know? <laughs> okay, right. okay. And, and I just wanted yeah. to say something about the voters' right before we introduce the guest real quick. And I know that um, when Lyndon B. Johnson signed this, this law, the goal was to pretty much overcome the legal barriers at a state and local level to pre- that prevented African Americans to exercise their right to vote, which was guaranteed under the 15th Amendment of the Constitution. So imagine not being able to take literacy tests and things that you know to make you a better person. So that was important to enact this law because everybody has that right. And, it, mm-hmm. you know... It, it's discriminatory if it's based off race and color and creed, and that's why we have laws protecting us. And understanding what our rights are is very important, and that's why we have to just understand what our rights are so that we know when we're being wrong. And it's important that this voting rights was enacted and revised to make sure everyone has that right. Everyone but prisoners have that right right now. Everyone exactly. but prisoners. Um, President the presidential candidate or nominee Bernie Sanders is the only nominee that's even talking about granting prisoners that right as Vermont does allow people in prison to vote. And and that's power right there. You want to talk about empowering prisoners, give them the ability to vote for those people. That's that's writing policies that's going to affect people in prison. See, they don't want that. So but that's just my opinion. Um Maxwell, if you would introduce our guests as uh, you 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 did set it up for them to come on, so please in- introduce them. I'll let no let Sister Khadija. Okay, Khadija, Mother Khadija. We have a very special there, guest, Brother Fitzhugh um, oh. Huff, and this gentleman is a veteran in all kinds of areas, not just in the music business, but he also was a prisoner too. But he also is a veteran, and I really, you know, I, I'm just so grateful. We've already get, gotten 18 minutes in the show. I really want him to introduce mm-hmm. himself, but he's a real positive influence for the community, and he believes and really helps. He's not one just to be talking the talk. He actually is out there hands-on. And Brother Huff, welcome to Black Talk Radio, the new abolitionist radio, and Prison Street Talk Ministry. So great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Oh, most certainly, mo- most certainly. Um, right. Mr. Huff, can I call you Fitz or Mr. Huff? How do you? Yeah. Okay. You can call me. You can call me anything except too late. <laughs> well, Fitz, every time we have a new guest on, you know, our first time guest, and this is your first time, and I'm so glad you could join us tonight. We asked them a question about the Thirteenth Amendment. So let let me state the Thirteenth Amendment to you. The Thirteenth Amendment says involuntary servitude and slavery shall be abolished except as a punishment for a crime whereof a party has been duly convicted. 
in, in our opinion, as new abolitionists, we believe the language of the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery, but set up a new form of slavery that is exercised through the prisons. Do you agree or disagree with our view of the 13th Amendment? I agree with 100%. Thank you for answering the question. Can I call you a new abolitionist? I wouldn't put a title like that on myself because I haven't done the research to be uh, a very productive abolitionist. But I'm for what's right. If you if you're against but, but slavery, I'm, if you acknowledge that slavery exists, which you just did by reading, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when I read the Thirteenth exactly. Amendment, and you so want you to end it, sir, if you want to end slavery, then that makes you an abolitionist in my book. You know, everybody has a role to play. Some are more knowledgeable than others, but everyone is equal in wanting slavery to actually be abolished. So, you know, I consider you an abolitionist if you're in agreement with us, but I I, I will, you know, respect. Since you put it that way, since you put it that way, I'm an abolitionist. All right. Maxwell, Khadija. But what I would like to say, what, what I would like to say is, first and foremost, uh, a part, the part about the voting and all, uh, prisoners being able to vote. If our higher power, God, uh, forgives people who are, who, who are weak to not forgive them, you know. I also feel that they do have the right to vote because uh, they're not just voting for themselves. They're voting for their family members that had nothing to do with their crime, their grandchildren and their children. So, yeah, they, I highly think that their vote does matter and should be counted. Thank thank you for answering that question as well. What what did you want to share with us tonight, Fitz? I would like to share that um, uh, my experience with being incarcerated. It wasn't a long time. Uh, It was a long time ago, but my incarceration period was not very long. But I don't care if this is a day, a day in jail. I'd rather be broke on the street than to be rich in jail any day. Uh, with that being said, um, my first stint with the law was in Korea, South Korea, Tongshan, Korea. And um, I didn't stay there in, incarcerated very long. I was in the military. By the grace of God, I wasn't discharged. And I, I continued my career and uh, um, discharged honorably. Uh, then when I got back to the United States, I was incarcerated in 1993. I got a nine-year sentence, um, and I served 18 months of that. While I was in, incarcerated, I chose not to go to work for 70 cents a day, you know, uh, because um, when I get out, what, what am I going to do with a $2,000 check or whatever? How am I going to get back in, into society and be productive? So what I did was I chose to go to school, and by me going to school via UNC, uh, North Carolina, I got a 4.0 GPA in culinary arts, and I was able to use that um, when I got out. But I do understand that everybody doesn't have the same opportunities or, or level of education to be able to go to school in prison or whatever. So I, I highly think it's unfair. I think it's what seventy cent an hour now. When I went, it was seventy cent a day. It depends on working. where you're incarcerated. Right. Right. Well, I wasn't going for that because I, I knew I had I, I knew I had things to do when I got out, changed my life. 
Yeah, it, it just, it, and, you know, North Carolina, where were, where were you incarcerated, if you don't mind me asking, the second time? Was, in, in North Carolina. Well, in, in North Carolina. Well, as much, when we talk about co- progressive states and what have you, um, in terms of prison slavery, North Carolina does have some pretty progressive um, things for prisoners. I'm not going to paint it like it's picture perfect or something like that because they definitely need improvements. My little brother was locked up in North Carolina. They forced him to work on turkey farms and what have you for a few cents a day and, and whatnot. But, you know, it's good that you were able to access education. All prisoners are not able to do that, and it's good that you were. But I think, just like how they're talking about now, free uh, um, tuition-free college for everybody at state pub- and, and public universities, state colleges and public universities, I think that should include prisoners as well. Every prisoner that wants to further their education, even through college, should be able to do so. And I'm so glad you were able to take advantage of that and, and get the degree you got from uh, Chapel Hill. I am too. Was there anything else that, I, that you wanted to talk about concerning? I, I, would, I would like to say that, you know, everybody deserves a second chance. You know, I think the three strike rules should only apply in baseball because, I mean, if suppose God gave us only three three chances to mess up and then we were doomed you know we got to think about that you know it's, it's bigger than us um i want to say that yes the continued education program in the north carolina department of corrections have stepped their game up i think it was like when i when i went i think it was like the first time that uh it was at its beginning stage of experimenting and you know i'm glad to say that i'm proud to be one of the ones that did complete the course and made it better for other uh, other inmates to uh, have the same opportunity. But just going on the side of the road, picking up dead animals and clearing paths and printing license plates and painting uh, government buildings for 70 cents a day, I don't agree with it. It is slavery. Give the other panelists the time to jump in. Y'all jump in anytime. Y'all have any questions for our guests? Can can I still be heard? I hear you very well. Okay. Uh, let me check the board, make sure we didn't lose Maxwell. Okay. Um, yeah, we lost Maxwell, so I watched the board. Oh, okay, I see Max. Max is on there. Okay. Uh, y'all might have your own phones uh, muted. Okay, so I mean, what are what are some of the things that you see that's being addressed right now um, by these people that's running for president that they're discussing in Congress? I, I guess what I'm asking is, what do you think prisoners need most in order to successfully reintegrate back into society, such as you? You know, you were able to do. First and foremost, I see education, the opportunity for education is is uh, top priority. Uh, if your grades are not el- eligible, I know you had to be eligible. When I was in there, I had to be eligible for that program with a certain grade. But everybody wasn't raised, have two, 
two parents like I did and a great childhood and graduated from high school with honors and stuff like that. Everybody don't have that. So I feel like they should be able to be regroomed, not reprocessed to come back. I mean, in that short period of time that I was there, I seen a whole lot of recidivism, you know, a whole lot of people coming back, you know. And, and I was only 18 months. I've seen at least six people leave and come right back. I feel like they should have the opportunity. I mean, uh, I'm not saying giving them a, a high-paying job or anything, but a minimum wage or anything, you know, something better than what they're getting now. So when they do get their checks, when they're released, they're able to fit back in society, able to pay rent, able to uh, pick up on a child support. You know, that child support don't stop when you get locked up no more. So uh, trust me, I know by experience, you know, but uh, to be able to cope, you know, and so that idea of crime coming back into their mind, it, it won't exist so heavy. Now, also, um, I do have a current friend. My best friend from high school is uh, locked up in a North Carolina prison. Uh, I mentioned my little brother spent time in prison. I had other family members in prison. And, you know, they don't like to talk about it. And I, I really shouldn't put their business out there. But they suffered some abuse in there, you know. And I think that that's something that has to be addressed is you know, the abuse that they're suffered, the inhumane conditions and the way that they're treated. You just had a bunch of um, uh, correction officers participate in a I'm cute, I'm feeling cute challenge on social media where they were talking about how they was going to shoot somebody's baby daddy or they was going to deny somebody visitation. And actually four of them out of Texas ended up um, losing their jobs cause of that. Do you do you think that we need a screening process for people that we allow to be COs or correction officers? Cause it, it just seems to me that they're allowing some some sick and sadistic people uh, to have that kind of power over other human beings. This is this is what I've noticed. I noticed when I was incarcerated. I noticed that the Correctional officers had this attitude of uh, being greater than thee. And some people love to have power and going through a power stru struggle with themselves. I currently have a friend now who was a former correction officer, and uh, that person told me, she told me that, you know, she had to leave because of the injustices that she's seen. Now, there are, there are injustices by the correctional officers almost as much as the actual inmates. I didn't experience anything hard from the inmates. All my uh, turmoil came from correction officers who didn't want to see me achieve my goal of, uh, of release early because of my good behavior. Um, and I actually seen when you get close to your exit time from incarceration where they'll put the heat on you so you can get an infraction to stay your time. We got to remember, this is all about money. The state at the time was getting $53,000 per inmate per year, and they only feed you $2,000 worth of food. The clothes you make yourself. So where is that money going? That's a good question. Hello? 
That's a good question. Can y'all hear me, Brother Scotty? Yes, I'm on another hear- line right now. Can yes, you hear me? We, yes, we hear you, Max. Go ahead. All right, so you'll know the number that I'm, yeah, you'll know the number right now. All right, that's me. My phone, something's wrong, all right? Okay. Yeah, did you right. ha- have right. any questions or anything you wanted to share with our guests? And not at this particular time because I was in and out on the, I was in and out. But um, as he was saying, you know, like a majority of times, a lot of your problems in there with the correction officer, and you saying should they have some certain type of test or anything. And a lot of people always uh, say that correction officers are doing that because they are correction officers and giving them that power. A lot of times it has nothing to do with them as a correction officer. It has to do with them as an individual of who they are as a person. Right, right. You know, and, and it's not, I'm not going to lie, it's not all of them in there. It's not all of them. You have do have some in there who really come in with a pleasant attitude. You're there for a punishment, not for them to punish you. You understand? You're sent to prison as a punishment, but not for them to punish you. They're only there to supervise and incorporate that you're abiding by the rules and all that. And uh, as an example, I've seen other correction officers, windows shot out, car tires blown out, and everything as a result of standing up and going against some of the other officers. Right, right. You know, and a lot of them are afraid. I've seen officers actually have to resign and be transferred to other prisons because the other ones feel they spilled the beans on them by standing up, you know. So we can't blame it on all. There's good and bad in everything. Right, right. I mean, you know, we can't just, like they say, people say one of them do something, you blame all of them. No, you can't do that because it's not all of them. Yeah, it's a now, culture, though, that, Max. A it, lot of people may disagree with me, but on my observation of 33 years in there, I've seen many who have been decent human beings. You know, it's always going to have that little bowl of that barrel of crabs and everything, you know? Yeah, what, what you're talking about is a culture that also exists in the police department. They're not all police... Um, get that job because they want to go terrorize somebody's community Um, because I've seen a number of them speak out, stand up for what was right and point out some of the things that was wrong and those are the cops that try to set them up to get killed or, you know, do do it's a culture. Some of them really went through that list of doing that. I've seen wardens ran out of prisons and happen to leave and be transferred coming out and their windows also shot out and blown out. Yeah. So that that's why I say you know, there's got to be a screening process, a, a better screen. I mean, just like now, Fitz can speak to this. When we went into, I was in the military as well. I spent six years in the U.S. Army in yeah. the Signal Corps and what have you. Hoorah. And they had, and of course, you know, they screened you. They screen you. They just don't want anybody to be a soldier and what have you. I mean, I had I had to go through all these background interviews and what have you to get a top secret security clearance and whatnot. And I ain't saying they got to go that far and talk to people's high school teacher yeah. or Sunday school teacher or whatever. But they can do better than what they've been doing. Pretty much they'll hire anybody. Yes, and Brother Scotty, I'd like to add this. I've actually seen officers come into work with black eyes where they were jumped by other officers 
and beaten up for going against the grain. I've actually seen these things with my own eyes. It's not something I'm making up. Wow. The officers and waited for them out in the parking lot and have beat them badly. You know? I did, and, I did and, too. You know, I did too, Mr. Melvin. I did too. I have noticed yeah. how uh, certain officers would get demotions because they were too kind hearted. Yeah. And then yeah. and then I seen where they get reprimand uh for uh allowing uh, certain individuals that deserve their uh credit and mm-hmm. giving acknowledging them their credit get get uh demoted. I've seen where yeah. they will uh they will take a person, they will actually not only demote them but fire them and saying that they're yeah. not capable of uh controlling their environment. And with that being said, uh like I said though, on a ratio, um the the prison system, correctional officers it boils down to that to this. All lives matter. It don't matter what color uniform, gray clothes inmate, or green clothes inmate, brown clothes inmate, blue clothes officer. Everybody's life matter. Uh we hey, all make yeah. mistakes and and if I've God seen forgive, it like I prison. said early in the yeah. show, if God forgives that yeah. mistake and let you continue to live and prosper, who are we to question that? And who are we to put extra? If you serve in your time, you serve your time. You shouldn't be like like uh, Mr. Melvin said. It's not a we're not to be punished, and they're not to be punished by the officers. Because your punishment yeah. is already by being locked up anyway. Right, you know? right. And you so, know, gets, I, you know, gets beat down. You know, gets beat down more than us sometimes. Their own kind, their own people. They beat them worse than they beat us sometimes because they feel you are disgrace to us. You're disgracing us by being in here. That is how some of the white Caucasian correction officers treat the white guys when they beat them. They beat them worse for the fact of disgracing their race. Wow, that that's pretty yeah, sick. Yeah, a white officer, a white officer taken up for a black uh, inmate in a hearing. I've experienced that too. You know, if you get a white infraction, you have to have a hearing. You have to have a hearing. So I've, I've seen where other I've other white officers. I've seen where other black officers, uh, uh, what you call uh, ridicule, other white officers for helping another black inmate. Wow. You know, yes, so I've it's, seen it's no, it's no color barrier. About standing just up. like. Man, I didn't see like some Mr. stories Milton. there, uh, Brother Scotty. I didn't see some stories in there, and I didn't see it in one of my own hearings when uh, the, the, they wanted this one officer to lie on me. He ran out of the office loudly out of the disciplinary hearing and ran into the chief's office and said, I'm not having nothing to do with it. I'm not. They weren't going to bother him. This guy was like a tough, bad, older man. He says, no, I'm not doing it. I don't want no vomit. They were trying to get them to set me up and this officer screamed it throughout the hallways and everything that he was not having no involvement in it and setting me up well wow you know he something ran out he ran into the chief's office something that Fitz says is something that i have um said for a long time in terms of the new abolitionist movement when i'm talking yeah. about prison slavery i'm talking about all prisoners I ain't trying to separate the Hispanic prisoners from the black prisoners from the Native American prisoners exactly. or, or nothing like that. And when we and when we talking, all lives 
matter. Right. So, but when we're talking police brutality, and I was just discussing this today, Max, with with some of the longtime listeners of, of New Abolitionist Radio, I got into a disagreement with another person mm-hmm. because I said that I agree with this black professor's research. It's not that I'm agreeing with him. I'm agreeing that his yeah. research shows that that the media is trying to paint it like all these cops are white that are shooting black people but the research shows that a black cop and a Hispanic cop is just as likely to shoot a black person down in the streets as a white cop and so I said so I said when it comes to something like that skin color don't matter I don't see skin color I see a slave catcher out there doing what slave catchers do and and the person got angry with me for for making that statement but but listen y'all um, you know, Khadijah and Tyson have been relatively quiet. They've been having phone issues. Yeah. Let me see if their phone is open up now. Khadijah, Tyson, can y'all hear us? Okay. Uh, Max, we might have to get them another phone because uh, they're not able to to uh, participate, apparently. So I'm, I'm going to toss it back to Fitz. Fitz, mm-hmm. what's yes, on your mind? Excuse me, sir. Um, I, I'm sorry. I'm getting people texting me, that I, and I'm getting distracted. So, um, what I was saying is, is there any other area um, that you noticed during your experience in there that we can uh, put to the people that we need to improve? What's some of the other things that you I, would do? I really suggest uh, what I haven't seen was job placement after incarceration. Now, they, what they do is they call it a home plan. In order for you to be released, you have to have a home plan. Uh, And most of the time, uh, if you don't have a very structured, well-grounded family, then they might create, might let you go to transitional housing with a post-release condition. With that post-release condition, though, if you have one infraction, if you don't find a job within a certain amount of time, I think it's 30 days, then you go right back to penitentiary. I know people here that's never been incarcerated. I know people that have a degree can't get a job in 30 days. So I really don't but think I'm that's fair. That's that I'm glad you brought that up, Brother I, Scotty, because what he just said, most of the brothers that are coming out of prison right now do not have anywhere to go because, number one, you cannot go back to any public housing or anything. And as you find it, most of the people that are in prison family members, sisters, cousins, and brothers all live in public housing. Yeah, that... And then if you try to sign a lease, if you try to sign a lease and they do a criminal record check, you're not getting that apartment or right, whatever. Right, so uh, Brother it's, Ty, it's, Tyson, it's are you there? Mother Khadija, are y'all there? Okay, we can't, we can't uh, hear you. Um, yeah, Fitz, wow. Fitz, brother Fitz, that is something that, and I think it can, it can be tackled on a state to state level. Um, not that, you know, we shouldn't try to push it on the federal level, but I think that, you know, they call it banning right. the box. Like on employment applications, some states or cities have said, right. we're not going to ask people if they've been locked up. We're going to ban the box because this is contributing to felony disenfranchisement. So the same thing needs and to be done, done in terms of housing. 
You know, everybody should have should well, have access. There was access. a bill, brother Scotty. Okay, go ahead. A bill. Something was just brought up recently about First Step Act that just happened that they noticed they put out a further. It was an error that slipped by, so they say it was an error that said whether instead of them necessarily doing all the background check and everything. They're holding it against you whether you were exonerated on a charge or anything. And that was something that just was discovered. Any uh, tickets or anything that you have, you have to bring it to their attention. Mm-mm. Even if you was found you innocent to, or the charges were dropped. But found innocent or anything, and they'll make their determination from there. And that was one a, a major issue that is being brought up out of the White House right now to date. As to dealing with that, and it's under the Office of Personnel is what they're claiming. But that was something that slipped, so they say slipped through the cracks. But everybody was up on that First Step Act, didn't notice that for some reason, or didn't think it would be that serious. Because mm-hmm. everyone was so amped and excited. There were so many things that slipped through that First Step Act. A lot of things slipped through there. Because why everyone was so excited about the First Step Act, because there have been no real prison reform or anything in the last 20 years or something. Right. So they was willing to basically accept anything that they could get through at the time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, Van Jones basically admitted to that. He was like, hey, if I could just get a few thousand out right now, then yeah. I'll, I'll do that. And I can't really argue with that, but yeah. who who knows though? Yeah. When you will have the opportunity, you should get all you can on that first chance because yeah. you may not get a second yeah. chance. You know, so so yeah. you know, yeah. I can see both sides of it. Um, uh, there. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. If and we I have, understand it too. He was saying, take it and run with whatever we can get right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, but, because no other politician or anybody had made any real changes, and like everybody's making it like Obama didn't do anything, Obama's one of the ones that laid down some of the exact policies and things to incorporate that. That didn't just happen when uh, President uh, uh, Donald Trump came into office. Those things were already in the works, and Obama had started to sign off on a lot of those things already. Well, so making them say, what has he done? Yeah, I would You know, it takes years sometimes for things to get through the legislature and through Congress sometimes. It don't happen overnight. You know, I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say Obama didn't do anything. I would simply say he didn't do enough, or he waited too late to yeah, act. Exactly. You know, because yeah. like on the prison, yeah. Um, yeah. getting rid of private prisons. The last few months yeah. of his presidency in his second term, he said the federal yeah. government was no longer going to contract with private prisoners. Prison and stocks. Prison stocks went down as a result of just that announcement. But guess what, though? Yes. The BOP, yes. the uh, uh, Federal Bureau of Prisons, then that very next week renewed a contract with the GO group. They did because you're absolutely correct. They did. They turned it around, the whole bill and everything that he had did, or President Obama did. They went in and uh, they signed off on it. And the former attorney general and everybody, uh, you know, they got rid of everything that he had just implemented. Right, right. He was going out of it. Right. And they changed it around, just like they did try to do with this Obamacare and all this other stuff. They flipped it around. Mm. 
Uh, listen, you know? listen. We got wow, we yeah. got about seventeen minutes left in the broadcast. So, if anybody has a question yeah. or a comment, give us a call at seven zero four eight zero two fifty fifty six. You have to hit the star key twice, otherwise, I assume you're just listening. Yeah. That'll let me know. Uh, Fitz, your thoughts on what we've been discussing thus yes, far? Sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I was just asking. Hello? Did you? Yeah, I, I hear you, sir. I was just asking. Did you have any thoughts on private prisons? Should we abolish private prisons, or or what? I would say yes for the simple fact that the private prison is for monetary gain. The even state subsidized prisons are for monetary gain. So imagine if. Just like uh, uh, Trump could buy a uh, prison, or or Glenn Miller, the Grand Dragon, could buy a prison. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to fill it up. Right, right. So he don't have to. He don't have to put a cross in your yard and scare you like that. All he do is just lock you and your whole family up. Well, be, that's it, a it, fact it, because there's be certain clauses in these contracts that they have to meet a certain quota and a certain amount of beds have to be filled in their contracts. So where are you going to get the people and what's going to be done? In private prisons, officers are ordered to write additional disciplinary charges so that people will be denied uh, uh, parole and all that because, again, there's a certain quota of beds that has to be filled at all times. That is a clause that on these contracts with these private prisons. You say it would be it's worse than state subsidized prisons. I think I think I think I really think that the private prison would uh, be uh, worse than the state subsidized prisons. Mm-hmm. I really do. You know, um, because it wouldn't be it wouldn't be about rehabilitation at all. It would be strictly about monetary gain. Exactly, it is. It is. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but you know. American citizens are in private prisons. We've had a number of callers over the years who've been in those facilities. But for the most part, especially now with this crackdown of Trump's on immigration, they're filling it up with with asylum seekers, you know, refugees and what have you. Well, about a year or so ago, um, prisoners, those prisoners in those private prison facilities said, look, we're on here on in here on immigration violations. That's not a criminal infraction. And you're forcing us to work and then paying us slave wages. And this is in violation of federal law against slavery. Now, that lawsuit is still working its way through the courts. I'm going to have to get in touch with this attorney I know and get an update on it. But I was in fear that, wait a minute, y'all say, y'all saying it's against federal law. Yes, it's against federal law for me to enslave an individual. But it's not against federal law for for slavery to exist because you got the 13th amendment so i'm interested in how that's going to be argued they're arguing that hey we don't have the same status as prison prisoners you know elsewhere in these other prisons you know we're in here on immigration and so you can't treat us like slaves or what have you and and so um you know they have stood in solidarity with american prisoners and pushing back against all this yeah. Uh, are we still on? Yes, we're still on. Um, All right, I thought something. Yeah. 
But, uh, Brother Scotty, like, there are so many things and movements that are taking place throughout the country right now. And as I say, it takes time for bills and things to go through Congress and things to go through these. And that's why they're trying to mostly get these uh, governors and things to just sign executive orders on these things. Because by the time they get through the process of going before all these hearings and different things, it's been years in between. So if you have all these organizations out there that I do, are, are I, would, I, would, I would like I would like to bring some, uh, something to your attention, uh, Brother Scotty and Brother Mike. Brother. There are so many programs out here right now, such as North Carolina Provisions, Justice Serve North Carolina, for inmates that are released. But the problem stems from within ourselves because even the family of those that are incarcerated and the general public that's never been incarcerated don't understand uh, the true meaning of forgiveness that don't support these programs to help the inmates that are coming yeah, out. That's true. You know, so right. I, I, I've witnessed that uh, with uh, fundraisers and benefit concerts that I have provided for released inmates and for disenchanted, uh, disenfranchised people, but uh, it's the general public as a whole, not just the state, not just the and federal. That is why the importance of when we have these panel discussions, and I'm going around and I'm talking, is to enlighten those, to enlighten all those students that are studying for criminal justice and different things, because these are going to be your future judges future prosecutors, future attorneys, and they need to have an understanding of what the true issues are, because they're going to be the, 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 the future ones that are making all of these decisions and everything. So they need to have but a full understanding, and it's not something that they're going to get out of a book. It's not going to be something that a professor is going to teach them. It's going to have to be people that have had a first-hand experience in the system know what the system needs. You understand? And that is one of the important positions in a lot of these boardrooms and these panel discussions you don't find those or myself or people such as mm -hmm. us on these panels they're bringing in all these high top paid doctors and scholars and you know people that haven't actually lived it or experienced it know what it's really about they're just going on some book study and stuff when you got I'm not living something that somebody told me or something that I read from a book I'm saying, I'm living, I live something that I've actually experienced, and I know what it needs. I know what the system, I know what changes are needed in there. Hey, Max, well. And until they start to include us in more of these conversations, you don't have that problem. Well, well, Max, one of the things that Fitz is speaking to is the reason we created New Abolitionist Radio in 2012, right. when right. you're talking about the general right. public, just like how I mentioned right. when Bernie Sanders said prisoners should have the right to vote. You know what CNN did? They turned that into right. should the Unabomber be able to vote? Should the Boston yeah, Marathon yeah, bomber yeah. be? That's propaganda. Now, they could have just yeah, as easily yeah. said the vast majority of people in prison are in there for nonviolent drug crimes because of America's racist uh, war on drugs, and do you think that those people who have been incarcerated for nonviolent crimes should still have the right to vote? See, there's two ways you could oppose that. And yes, CNN, but they're also saying, though, 
you can't just, and it's true, I believe you just can't focus on the non-violent. I hear what you're saying, though. You have to focus even on those that have... But what, yeah, I, but I'm talking about propaganda, though. I'm talking about propaganda yes. of the corporate media uh, yes. that shapes the yes. opinions of the general public. Mm -hmm. And so that's yes. so that is why we have to take every opportunity we can to get on mm -hmm. different programs and talk about the issues and stand up for our brothers and yes. sisters. Humanity. Because the public, the public wants change sometimes, right? But the, what the public needs to understand the public is going to have to become more involved. You want people to come out. You want them to do the right thing, but you aren't providing them those things. You got, like, I don't know, more than 423 collateral consequences, or roadblocks, or licensing boards, all types of, like I say, housing and stuff. What do you expect these people to do? Most of them are in there for the very reason of not that they wanted to be in there, based off of poverty or whatever. And these same people are returning but you don't want to give them a chance to we show can, you the redemption or whatever. Well, we, you, want, we, you don't we, want to allow them that, but we can, you want we to keep talk about, complaining and complaining and complaining, but you don't want to give them a chance. Go ahead, Fitz. Fitz, go ahead. We, we, can, talk about, we can talk about this until the earth rotates again. I, yeah. The bottom line is we as a people, if we don't unite, you cannot win a battle or a war without any soldiers or a minimal amount of soldiers. So it's our duty on the outside to assist the one on the inside. You, you know what I mean? Right. I see, in my experience, there are so many inmates that are incarcerated that don't have family to uh, support them or to send them uh, $40 a week. Now they're charging you $21 just to go see the doctor. You know how many of our brothers and sisters are incarcerated and can't even go see the doctor because they don't have $21 in their inmate account. Yeah. And they charge you money just to be able to leave money on somebody's books. They charge you and, money. And see, and let me speak to something Fitz just said. So, Fitz, you just said that, that prisoners who basically really don't have any money um, and their family may not be there to provide them with the money they need just to get health care. They don't have the $21 to get the health care. So that is why me on the outside, if I go to a town no, not hall... not for the health care, not for the health care, to visit that doctor one time. Yeah, that, well, yeah, to visit the doctor. Well, they okay. charge you a co payment. They charge them a co payment. Okay, you right, to all right. Medical over to the private medical companies. And that's why they turned it over. It's no longer the state. It's under private health care now. So they charge them a co-payment at the end of the year or whatever. That private medical company give whatever to go into that fund of all the $5 co-payments or whatever. They don't necessarily deny you the treatment because what they'll do is you'll owe them. Each time you go to see the doctor and any money that then comes in and you see you, it's going to be taken off the top right there. They're going to take it off the well, top. Correct. You're going to be left with nothing. Yeah, well, well, Max, my my point is, though, is to Fitz's point about us on the outside needing to be advocates for those on the inside. So he just he he, he just described the health care access problem, okay, if you don't have money. So when a politician on the outside, like they're talking now, Medicaid for all, let's say I go to a town hall and Bernie Sanders is talking about Medicaid for all. He says, everybody, that health care is a human right. So then I should ask Bernie Sanders, does your Medicaid for all 
undercover prisoners. Will they also yeah. get a Medicaid for all uh, health care card and then be able to access health care without having to pay co-pays like you want for everybody on the outside? So I, I just wanted I'm to speak. You just that. Yeah. Because Governor Jim, former Governor Jim McGreevy has just spoke on that. A couple of weeks ago, I got a senior report as far as prison health care. The governor, former governor of New Jersey just spoke on that. So I'm glad you mentioned it. I'll get that to you too, brother. Okay. okay. Well, listen, we come to the end of the broadcast, and I want to give Fitz an opportunity to share any final thoughts. And know, Fitz, that, you know, an hour is a short time. We know that. But the door is always open for you to come back on. Just let one of us know, and we'll schedule you. But did you have any I final thoughts? I'll be honored. I'll be honored and a privilege to do this again. Um, it's going to make me do more research, and I know that. Uh, but um, like I said, the bottom line is um, I'm I'm not a religious person, but I'm I'm very spiritual. And if if God if God can forgive us, who the hell are we not to give nobody else another chance? Well, and exactly. We cannot fight this battle, or and win the war without soldiers. Uh, yes, no matter exactly. we have to we have to fight against Congress, we have to fight against legislators, we have to fight against the state, we have to fight against uh, the federal government. And the way to do that is by putting that paper, that pencil to the paper and let it be known that we are here to support the inmates and give them their true so called second chance. Yes, yes. Exactly. Thank, thank you, Fitz. And, and, uh, and, and I brother Scott, if it's all right, brother, uh, brother, uh, if he can uh, provide his information, yeah, of uh, you know how he's trying to help and the ways and how people can reach him and get in contact with him, and he can give a, a little more detail about himself exactly what he do. Yeah, and I, he can, I can. Uh, the two, the two organizations that I highly support, and I don't get it twisted. I will support any organization that is legitimate. But the two that mm-hmm. the two that I know that are is North Carolina Provisions, and that's headed by Anita Echevera Saunders, and also uh, Justice Serve North Carolina, which is headed by mm-hmm. Diane Haywood Powell. Everybody knows Diane yeah. Powell. All right, so mm-hmm. those those two mm-hmm. franchises. You can reach me on Facebook at Fitzul Huff the Second, on Instagram Fitzul Huff the Second, on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, that dancing has that dancing has do. And exactly, what else is it that you do in the music industry? You work with Def Jam uh, Records. You right, work with uh, major labels right, and uh, right you know, now I'm, I am not. I am. I am not an A and R. I am a talent scout for Def Jam, Sony, and Universal, and I'm also yeah. a model scout for Vogue. Mm. Yes. And, you know, and, uh, you know, how you're using your platforms for mass incarceration and prison reform and different things, every chance that you get an opportunity to do those things. Then, let me, that let me is good because happened. the platforms that we have, we have to use all platforms right now. North Carolina in 2010, I was having a Justice Serve Benefit concert every year. No. Yes. The first year they came, second year slacked off. Third year, slacked off. Now, this is with a major recording label artist uh, performing yeah. or and, and local talent. Talent. It's about the community. Mm-hmm. It's about... It has to start there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we don't get the support that we should get. My partner, yeah, Augusto sure. Jose Polo, 
uh, he is the other half of New South Empire, which we are a promotional umbrella, a real shelter promotional umbrella, and we we mm-hmm. promote other promoters and we promote businesses, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, and anybody that's trying to better themselves. But yes, it is so hard. It is so hard because you you don't get the support. It ain't worth a ham having. 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 followers, if that's all they are, followers, they're not drawing. That is so true, and I can identify with that. You know, over the years, since 2008, we've been online since 2008, we broadcast to millions of people in that time. On the regular, we have tens of thousands of people every month listening to the broadcast, downloading the podcast. But I can I can tell you that we only and we're a nonprofit. We're a North Carolina based nonprofit. And out of all of those thousands and thousands and thousands of people, maybe less than three hundred actually supports the platform financially. So I, I can definitely feel wow. that. But you know what? I I I'm one of those that I'll take what I got and I'll I'll just do the best I can with it. And I think we've done a great job with the little bit that we have. Now, had. now, now, you put you put some you put some foolishness up there. You'll be in syndication by now. Oh yeah, of course. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the world is you know, and, and and that's what it's like it's about a lot of times. You put something up like that, man, and then you get a million uh, viewers right away. You put something up there that makes sense and tell them how to really do something that's going to make a difference. You might get a like here and a like there. Hey, but I'm like, I'm a spiritual yeah. person. I'm not a religious person, but I am a Christian, and I'm a spiritual person. Yeah. And like the scripture yeah. said, one just one righteous person to put 10,000 unrighteous to flight. So we just going to work yeah. with those we can work with in this righteous fight. And we're going to get it done because we're going to believe on our higher power to assist us where man has failed us. But thank you again, Brother Fitz. You're very welcome, yes. brother. Uh, I'd like, yes, I'd like to thank you for coming on, brother. And uh, another time, you know, we would definitely like to bring you back on. And, you know, we can have a longer time or something. You know, it's humanly impossible sometimes to get everything that we need to get in during this hour and something. So we're going to bring you back in. You can talk about some of the other programs and, you know, how you're trying to use music and incorporate it into this change of of everything that's going on, social justice issues, everything that's going on in society right now, bro. Mm. All right? And I thank you again for coming on. We promote businesses and, and music and things that uh, stimulate positivity, and and yeah. because of that, we don't get we don't get much support like we should. And so mm-hmm. I refuse to put anything out there that will send or encourage our brothers to do anything wrong to go to penitentiary. But if you was to put something up there about Mona shaking her butt. Or something, you might yeah. get you know yeah, Mona like shaking her butt. Be in oh, I got putting. 33 12s and somebody, you might have a million views yeah. or supporters. Hey, but anything you know, that wow. anything anything that we can do to support you, you know, let us know. If you got um, you know, another event coming up, 
get at me and I'll make sure the Black Talk Radio Network, you know, puts out the information. We'll give you a free ad on the network to, you know, let the people who visit our network um, know, you know, what's going on. Because we, we do it. We have listeners all over the planet. Um, but, you know, the majority of our listeners are in the United States. And so we just, you know, want to do what we can to support you, brother. And and with that said, we got to close yeah, it well, out. I mean, I mean, I mean. I be I be in Charlotte often because I support Kevin Glover from the Connected Foundation heavily. He is a very strong right, person. Right, in right. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very familiar who he is. Yes, I'm very familiar who that brother is right there. All you right. Know? Well, Max, did you have any final thoughts as we close it out, bro? No, my only final thoughts is you know, like we said, this is a, a movement. And, you know, trying to do what we can do and, and telling our stories and sharing information and coming together, collaborating with each other and, and, and trying to build this movement so that we can move forward and, and to help in making these changes out there. Mm-hmm. And just encourage all our listeners to call in. If you got something to say, don't be afraid. There's no right or wrong on this show. Sometimes people feel that their answers might not be good enough, but you would be surprised what some of your answers are. Some of your answers could be their answers. So don't hesitate to call in on this show. All right. And I thank all of y'all for listening to us. All right. And uh, we look forward uh, to speaking to y'all next week and our listeners. All right. Thank well, you. I'll just close it out by saying, talking about what I started uh, our interview with Brother Fitz. Hey. And that is the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment. Somebody had made a Facebook post and they said, post one one lie your teacher told you. Now, there's a bunch of lies. There's a book out that's called Lies Your Teacher Told You. But the main lie that they told you that I'm focused on is the lie that the United States abolished slavery in 1865 and after the Civil War, the United States been free of slavery. Well, I can understand if a lot of the victims back then who mainly were illiterate or didn't have access to the U.S. Constitution to read the 13th Amendment and see that they played played a trick on on you. They played a trick on you. They got rid of one form of slavery and exchanged it for another form of slavery. Don't believe me? Read the 13th Amendment, where it says that slavery and involuntary servitude shall be abolished except as a punishment for crime. Well, I don't want to punish anybody. I want to rehabilitate people who make mistakes. And even if a person commits a crime, it is not helping the situation by committing the greatest crime against humanity ever perpetrated on this earth, and that's putting them into slavery, okay? So if you know that slavery exists and you want it to end, then join this movement and become a new abolitionist. Even if it's just speaking to your neighbor or speaking to your congressmen or your city leaders about the 13th Amendment and that we know slavery's never been abolished. That's at the root of all of these problems and we need to address it and end it once and for all. With that said, peace and blessings to all. Be safe out there and we'll be back with another live broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio next Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Peace. Peace, love, and hair breathing.